GameZillaMedia.com. It's time for the last action podcast. Pop quiz, hot shot. Hey, I feel the need. The need for speed. We can kill it. I have come here to chew bubble gum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubble gum. Come with me if you want to live. All the way to the outside is frightful. But the fire is so delightful And since we've no place to go Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow It doesn't show signs of stopping I am LPJ and we are joined by a full house We got the Sphinx with us Hey LPJ, what goes off first? The lead in your ass or the shit in your brains? We have Hovercraft, Joe (laughs) <laughs> what up? <laughs> and uh we are joined by so the last time we did let me back this up we're doing die hard too because you know it's christmas die harder die harder it's it's christmas time um this is a great christmas movie arguably uh. arguably uh and so we brought back the the guests that we had for die hard one we have uh, Deadite. Regardless of its Halloween, Christmas, Kwanzaa, or Cinco de Mayo, if it's a holiday-themed show, you guys have me here, and I'm excited <laughs> to be here. And, and it's Deadite, a.k.a. The Butter Boy. Whatever you want to call me. That's that, name's, me. that name's not getting away from you on this show either. It doesn't bother me. I am what I am. I sold out. It's fine. I'm the Butter Boy. <laughs> and we also have with us the, I don't know, pseudo-fourth fourth host of this show at this point. <laughs> Uh, Chops. I'm the crazy drunk uncle, yeah. <laughs> you are. You're that guy that just, like, we can call and say, hey, you want to be on a show? And you'll be like, I haven't watched the movie. Okay. <laughs> to, to keep it holiday themed, I'm like uh, that guy who would always come to our holiday parties who we called Dutes, who wasn't related to anybody, but he was every every holiday he was there smoking a stogie. Yeah. Or don't don't forget, Chops is also the guy. We could be like, "Hey, you come into the recording," and it'll be like, "Oh, I forgot to watch the movie. Hold on, I got time." <laughs> yeah, that's typically how it goes. Um, but what's what's also special about this episode is it's kicking off the year of the sequel for the Last Action Podcast. Uh, Joe, this was your idea. Uh, we all loved it. Feel free to explain away. Well, I, I think it's just we've covered so many uh, part ones of iconic action franchises here on the podcast, and we decided we really needed to get into some of the sequels. So that's what we're doing. It's not going to be exclusively sequels, but we're going to hit them hard. Uh, and whenever possible, like this episode, we're going to bring back the guests that we had for the original movie. So uh, I think there's a lot of fun ones to explore, and uh, it, it's going to be a lot of fun throughout the year to kind of get into them. I yeah, like we- that we're- we're finally we got a seeing... great list for our uh, our listeners, for sure. I like that we're finally seeing behind the veil into the uh, the action movie Zodiac calendar. <laughs> this is the uh, <laughs> the year of the sequel. I'm excited to see what next year's going to be. I, I just like... it's, it's the year of the remake. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I, I'm just glad that this sets up for uh, the prophecy laid out several years ago of uh, the Crow City of Angels being recorded. <laughs> 
Ponyo and sequels. Yes. Uh, no, sorry, Deadite. That one didn't make the list. You're out of luck. Also, Deadite, I'm just dropping this right now. We're locking you in for Darkman 2, The Return of Durant. So, hell yes. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's no Big Tracy 2, otherwise, I totally get sick on that. But, anyways, as uh, LBJ stated, we are here tonight or today or whenever you're listening to this to talk about Die Hard 2. I guess Die Hard 2 Die Harder? Like, is that the official title of it? Well, I think that was a tagline from what I later found out. I always thought it was the title as well. But then kind of doing a little bit of research, it, it has it as a tagline. So, I don't know. Yeah, it was never. This is the only Die Hard movie that's actually has a number in the title. It is actually Die Hard 2. The rest of them are like Die Hard with Vengeance, you know, Good Day to Die Hard, all that stuff. Um, okay. But I'll, I'll save it. Keep going. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, release date on Die Hard 2 is July 2nd, 1990. Which, um, which is why this does not qualify as a Christmas movie. It came out in fucking July. So did the first one. Yes, it did. And the first one is not a Christmas movie. Oh, no. You're wrong there, but that's okay. Just, hey, just, just side note, I didn't watch it yet, but I saw today that John McTiernan released like a 12-minute video talking about the original Die Hard, explaining why it is a Christmas movie. I haven't watched it yet, but... Um, McTiernan did it? Yeah. He's just doing it for money because he's in jail. <laughs> Anyways, okay, so let's run through a, a little bit of the numbers on this. Uh, budget on this movie is $70 million. Uh, it had a domestic gross of 117 million and a worldwide of 240. So you know, blockbuster, obviously. Uh, oh, it, it blows the, the the it doubled the first Die Hard. That's how successful this movie well, was. And what's crazy is in 1990, 70 million was a huge amount of money <laughs> yeah. to make a film. Like I don't know yeah. what was Batman. Batman was less than 70 million, and Batman was oh, 99. Yeah, I think Batman was maybe even half of that. Yeah, it wasn't that much. But yeah, this is... And, and granted, $70 million for this movie, it seems like a lot. Like, this... I think they could have gotten away with doing it for a lot less than $70 million. Yeah, they all was expensive. They, yeah, they didn't actually <laughs> blow up any planes. Well, no, it was Allegedly, for all the I think they did. planes. You think what? <laughs> he thinks they did blow up a plane. That's what I saw. I watched the movie. There were planes exploding. Explain. Okay. Hey, I, um, LPJ, the Batman, 89 Batman, is exactly half of the budget. It's 35 okay. million. Yep. I, I will agree, though, like, up front, this does not look like, like, this movie is not visually, like, stunning or anything. Like, it does, you wouldn't think that, like, it, it costs 70 million. I feel like it has, like, four or five sets where all the, the whole movie takes place. So. Oh, oh no. I've got some well, good no. trivia, but that does I, not I, become the case at all. Uh, I know that, but I'm just saying how <laughs> it looks. But anyways, okay. So Rotten Tomatoes on this is 69% uh, in the audience. The, <laughs> <in> the, <laughs> uh, the audience score is 70%. So, um, so here's, a, here's, here's fun. 1990 is a, is a year, guys, that we have been in a lot, in case you don't remember. So the top grossing movies of 1990 are Home Alone, Ghost, and Dances with Wolves, okay? Now, this movie came at eighth for the year. Other movies that we have done, it's kind of fun because we have some people that were on these episodes, 
Uh, number five is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Number six is The Hunt for Red October. Number seven is Total Recall. Number nine, Dick Tracy. Yeah. Uh, number 30, Young Guns 2. Number 36, Darkman. Mm-hmm. And number 60, Roadhouse. And I will say, looking through this and knowing what our plans for the year of the sequel are, we're going to hit 1990 quite a few more times. Do, do we think 1990 is like the best and worst sw- Sphinx year for movies? <laughs> has the largest swing of your opinions on movies? It has a very large swing. You are not wrong. And these I mean, movies I either love or hate. There is not a hole in between with any of these movies. And th- this might, I mean, this might be now the year that we've gone into the most, I feel like. Just I think going it through is. it. Yeah, I think at this point it is, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's, uh, that's the numbers. Did you see yeah. how much Bruce Willis was paid? Is that one of your lightning round uh, questions, Sphinx? It is not, but wasn't it like eight point five million or something? Seven like point five. Or seven point five, yeah. <laughs> like that's a well, lot. Well there you go. That's ten percent of the fucking yeah. budget in the movie. I know. That one actor. So. That's crazy. But I well, mean you know, I, I was gonna say it is worth it. I mean, Bruce Willis makes die hard. It's it's as simple as that, you know? Like I, I think we talked about it when we watched, when we saw the first movie and talked about it. Like there, I don't think there is a better actor that fits who John McClane is better than Bruce Willis. You know? Yeah, I'll agree with that. Yeah. I mean, it's this is definitely one of those. You know, it's a, he's an everyman action hero. He's not yeah. Schwarzenegger. He's not Stallone. He's not larger than life. He's just a dude with a gun. And even in this movie, he looked a little more plump, didn't he? Yeah. Like, I feel like he was not as fit as we I, saw in the I, first I, time. I agree with you guys, but I would argue that as these movies go on, and even this one, he starts getting a little less every man yeah. than, oh. say, the first one. Like, oh, I feel God. like this one is a leap. I feel like the third one is maybe a step back. Yeah, and okay. then they then they get out of control. Like I, I, I mean, we'll talk about it more as we go through it. But I think this one's a little bit of a leap from the first movie to his characterization. I one hundred percent agree with you. I think this movie starts as average Joe John McClane, and then fucking snowballs into chaos. But then, <laughs> yeah, uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance, which I think is close to as good as the first one, in my opinion, is mm-hmm. definitely a, a good return to form, in my opinion. I think they set him up as an everyman really well because the movie starts with his car getting towed. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's an everyman problem. <laughs> that's, that's true. And he can't even talk himself out of the ticket. Even worse, yeah. it's his mother-in-law's car getting towed. That's, that's, there's no more common man problem than that. Yep. Um, so do you want to, and I, I feel like uh, LBJ, you should take the lead on this, but do you want to start talking about the cast here? Yeah, well, let's, well, let's maybe go back. first. Yeah, we need to talk about maybe our first impressions of the film, first right. time we saw it. Oh, right. Okay, okay. Um, who wants to start that off then? Sphinx? I mean, I can go first. Yeah, go ahead. I, I, I watched all three diehards for the first time, like nearly in succession. So when I finally was able to watch the first diehard, which I was in like middle school, like I think I mentioned on that diehard episode, they were the first box set my dad bought on DVD. Not Blu-ray, DVD. They were the first box that he had. So I was like, all right, I got to 
gotta watch Die Hard finally. And I fell in love with it so much that I, I really think it was the next day I literally had to watch Die Hard 2, Die Harder. And then after that one, I'm like, all right, got to finish this trilogy out. And then I finished it right after that. And since then, like, you know, this movie's on TV all the time. So along with the other two. So it was something that I would constantly watch whenever it was on. I'll go next. Um, I saw this. So we had this recorded on a tape in our house. I don't know where it came from. I would assume HBO. My dad recorded it or something. Uh, but I watched it, I would say, soon after it was released, you know, on HBO or whatever it was. And um, I've just kind of always watched it. Like, it's kind of always been around. And uh, at one point, my grandmother, my mom, my dad's mom, gave me a Die Hard 2 hat that she said <laughs> that she said was from somebody who worked on the movie. I couldn't find a picture of the production hat that looked like the one I had, but it was just a solid black hat. And it just in blue letters said die harder across the top. Um, <laughs> and it was sweet. I love that hat. It got torn up and we lost it, but, uh, but I had that hat and I would wear it all the time. And, um, and yeah, I just, I've just kind of always watched this movie. It's just sort of always been around like the first one has for me. That's the same um, for me. Oh, yeah, I, I, I don't know when the first time it was I watched this, but I've always watched it. Like, I, I've probably watched it every year I've been alive. Even the second one? Pro yeah, because usually yeah. what happens is we we start with the first, and then we're like, well, it's not too late. Let's just watch the second one. And then we'll watch the second one. And then when it gets too late, we're like, oh, we'll watch the third one tomorrow. Yeah. And then that's just what we did. For a while there, I would only watch the second one because I liked it so much. Um you know, I love the first one, but I'd also seen the first one a zillion times. The second one I hadn't seen as much. So at one point I was just like, you know what? I'm going to watch the second one. And I would just put that one on. I was going to say, this is this is the least of the three that I've watched. I mean, I've still seen it plenty of times, but it's not it's not one that I grab at. To me, this this one, like my my comparison for like, let's just start the original three diehards. We're not going to yeah. talk about four and five. This comparison to me is the same as the original Indiana Jones trilogy where it's like, man, the first one's good. And the second one was always like, ah, second one's not good. It's, it's the worst of them. But then the third one's really good. But then it's kind of like, eh, maybe the second one's not as bad as I thought. It's not as good as the other two. I don't know when the first time I saw this was. And I, in my mind, I was like, ah, I've maybe seen it once or twice, but when I was rewatching it for the podcast, I'm like, Oh, I remember this entire movie. Like I remembered everything about it. So I'm like, well, I must have seen it more than I thought. Um, but I mean, I still think, you know, we'll obviously have a lot more to, co to cover on this, but I, I still kind of feel like my initial opinion on it is accurate. <laughs> so so my first real viewing, as listeners may remember from a year ago, of Die Hard 1 was leading up to us recording the show. That's the reason you guys want me on the show. I have a fresh set of eyes for someone who didn't have a lifetime passion around Die Hard. And, you know, as we know from watching last year, I now love the movie Die Hard. I really enjoyed it. Somehow it came up in conversation with my father-in-law, and I found out he really likes the Die Hard movies. Shortly after we recorded our show last year, he um, he calls me up. He goes, hey, Ethan, I, uh, I DVR Die Hard on the Die Hard 2 on the TV. You want to go over and watch the sequel? 
sure, father-in-law, I'll come over. <laughs> so we we watched the DVR off the BBC channel. <laughs> <laughs> like that that's that's the way to do it right there. The father-in-law with the DVR off TV. It's the most 90s like experience you could have seeing Die Hard for the first time in the year. 2020 or 2019 or one place watching a recorded version off TV. So, um, and then I, I obviously rewatched it this week to get ready for the show. Was was the version on TV? Was it edited Did, or because it was? Yeah, yeah, it was BBC, so it was a little more lenient, but it was still it was still edited. So, so, so did you, you get the? Go ahead. You, you got the famous uh, like alternate line for yippee ki yay, yippee ki yay. You got yeah. that. Okay. Yeah, I think That's they just awesome. cut it. I think he just said yippee Kaye and then the audio kind of cut. Oh, I don't think we did like the. Because uh, like, famously, it's yippee Kaye, Mr. Falcon. Mr. Falcon. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, like, I don't think they do that in the BBC <laughs> version. Yeah. Oh, that's a bummer. But um, all right. Uh, so, cast, should we jump into that? Well, uh, director, we should jump director first. We should okay. because it's I mean John McKiernan doesn't return for for Die Hard two because he was busy doing a movie we've already covered on the show. Yeah, he was, he was Hunt yeah. for October. He couldn't get yeah. out of filming Hunt for October, and so they needed a last minute replacement because the the production for Hunt for October went so long. So he called up Rennie Harlan, and Rennie Harlan had just gotten done finished filming. Uh, uh, Ford Fair, the adventures of Ford Fairlane. Future so, episode? Oh, maybe. I've seen it. It's not <laughs> terrible. Um, and so Ford Fairlane actually came out the month before Die Hard 2 did. He edited the two movies back to back in his in his editing studio. He uh, he was helping. He helped edit it. And um, but yeah, so so Rennie Harlan jumped on just by recommendation of somebody who had seen dailies of Adventures of Ford Fairlane. Which it seemed like this was a pretty early action flick for Rennie Harlan. Yeah. He seems to be a lot more big with, with that out here. He's a lot bigger in horror movies. He did Nightmare on Elm Street 4, Exorcist <laughs> Beginning, Covenant. Um, I'm sure Deadite would love us to do the other one he's done, Deep Blue City. That's uh, going to be we already talked about it, yeah. Uh, you two did an episode. You did the cliffhanger episode that was Rennie Harlan as well. Yep. And then also going to Dead Eye, apparently he did 12 rounds with John Cena. Yeah. I own a DVD <laughs> copy. I own all three 12 rounds movies on DVD. Wow. One of them's boring. Even the one with, uh, isn't Dean Ambrose in one of them? Yeah, it, it goes John Cena, Ted DiBiase yeah. Jr., and then Dean Ambrose slash John Moxley. <laughs> I, I think you unfortunately just answered a question for me. I was going to be like, please tell me it was a three-pack with all the movies together on it, but it doesn't sound like it. <laughs> no, no, I bought them all separately in different ways. At least one of them was purchased from a closing video store. <laughs> <laughs> I right, feel that's like that's, that's a subset of this podcast we need to do is movie starring wrestlers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're going to have the year of the wrestling movie. I will commit to that as long as we count the original Sam Raimi Spider-Man because uh, uh, Macho oh, Man is in there. Oh, who's ready for Bonesaw? Bonesaw oh, is ready. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> what happened? All right. Uh, Die Hard 2, <laughs> the movie we're talking about, uh, was written 
by Steven D'Souza, who did the first Die Hard along with Predator, I believe. He did. And then they brought in... Yeah. And then they also brought in Doug Richardson. This was his first film. But just like the first Die Hard movie... I did not know this till I did the research on this movie. This movie is also based on a novel. Yep. And the novel was called 58 Minutes by uh, Walter Wager, it looks like, mm-hmm. uh, back in 1987. And the plot is pretty darn similar. It's a uh, guy cuts power in an airport. It's uh, a daughter that's stuck on a plane up in the air. Blizzard's coming in. It's JFK Airport in New York, not, not Washington, D.C., but very, very similar to what we end up seeing in this film. So, yeah, so I did not know that. And then obviously we are produced by Charles and Lawrence Gordon, but then also, of course, good old Joel Silver is all over this movie. Oh, Joel Silver. Silver. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And music Michael Kamen, right, who has obviously been mentioned so, so many times on our podcast here. So I think we can now probably go into the cast. Yep. Uh, obviously, we've got, you know, Bruce Willis, John McClane. Uh, you can't have a Die Hard movie without him. Uh, Bonnie Bedelia's back as his wife, Holly, uh, who they are happily married in this one, which is odd for them. <laughs> yeah, guys- it's interesting, too, that this is the second movie in a row that the two of them are only together at the very, very end. Yeah, it's it's, it's kind of weird, it's right? Bad. Like the entire movie, they're never together, but well, at the very, very end, they reconvene. And she's not in any any of the other movies. Nope, she's done after so this. That was it. Uh, Bill Atherton's in this again as Dick Thornburg. What's crazy is Reginald Vell Johnson gets fourth Bill in this movie, <laughs> yeah. and he's in one scene. It's called yeah. Star Power, LPJ. Star Power. You don't want to snub. The Twinkies are continue to get thrown at him. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, Franco Nero is in this. He's uh... which Franco Nero is big in spaghetti westerns. That's he what is. made him very famous. But I knew that I noticed that face from something I saw recently. Yep. Do you guys know what it is? Good. John Wick too. Yep. He is the oh, owner of the Continental Hotel uh, in Rome. Yep. So very interesting. Oh, there you go. Yep, yep. I knew I had noticed that face. So. Uh, Sphinx's favorite actor in this movie, William Sadler, is in this. Uh, Doesn't get to see his sexy body in the very beginning. His chiseled physique. Did you get to? Oh, <laughs> Ethan, when you were watching with your father-in-law, did you get to see uh, William Sadler's ass? Um, you know that part was in there, and uh, of course, my father-in-law turned to me and and then asked, uh, "Is is that what you do before you go to work every morning?" And I, and I went, "It's." I, I wrote. I told my son, "It's a little uncomfortable that now I have to tell you this, but yes, of course." Can't <laughs> spend all day fixing computers if you don't do like Tai Chi naked. Yep. I gotta say, for how long he's doing that Chai Chi that Tai Chi naked, like we're really close to seeing Dong, but luckily we did not. I will say for the listeners at home, if you're following Sphinx Bingo, Sphinx bringing up naked uh, Sadler is one of the list. Yep. Now, but uh, but Sadler is also in a more recent movie in the MCU universe. Uh, Hovercraft Joe, do you recognize Sadler? No. No. From MCU, he is uh, he's the president of the United oh, States yeah, yeah. in Iron Man Three. Well, I mean, even more recently, he's in the Bill and Ted universe <laughs> as Death. 
<laughs> yes, he is. The Grim Reaper himself. I, mean, I always I, think I, of him in Shawshank Redemption, but I know half of you have not seen that uh, movie, so can't say a whole Iron lot about Man, Iron Man 3 is not one of my favorite MCU movies, so, you know, although technically by the definition of most of the people on this podcast, it's a Christmas movie, but that's another story, so. <laughs> uh, Major Grant is played by John Amos. John yep. Amos I've seen in two things. In this movie, and he's a dick. And the other show I've seen him on is he's the dad in Good Times, and he's a dick in that too. I've hey, never seen uh, him play a normal, play a nice you guy. Need, you need to watch him in West Wing because he is amazing as General Fitzwallis, uh, or Admiral Fitzwallis, Commander in Chief in uh, West Wing. I'll and get, he's in Coming to America. Yeah, he isn't coming to America. I haven't, I've not seen a lot. <laughs> and he's going to be in the new Coming to America, I guess. Ooh. 80 years old, but he's coming back. He's an amazing actor. He is. Like, he kind of steals the show when he shows up. He just has that intimidation uh, when he jumps on screen. All right, we got Dennis Franz. Uh, <laughs> yeah, NYPD Blue NYPD himself. Blue, Dennis Franz. Sipowitz. Yep, Sipowitz. <laughs> we got Art Evans. He is uh, Barnes. He's the airport chief engineer. We have former U.S. Senator... Fred Dalton Thompson in this. I love that's right. As Ed Trudeau. I feel like you have to introduce him that way whenever whenever you talk about him. Yep. You got to. Fun have... story I found out about Fred Thompson. He Who? apparently was involved in the Watergate scandal. He was actually trying to help Richard Nixon and not getting in trouble. Fun fact. All Loyalty right. to his president. I respect yeah. that. Well, he, he made that okay. <laughs> he means a patriot. <laughs> There he is. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, uh as we all know, Chief, Chief O'Brien. Again, Mark Chief O'Brien. Rip. Chief O'Brien. Go card there for the Star Trek reference. All right. Now here's my obscure one. Robert Costanzo. He is uh, Dennis Franz's brother. He is also yep. the original kind of bad guy uh, mobster in uh, NYPD Blue. But that's not my obscure fact. My obscure fact about him is he plays the lead villain in the Sega CD game Sewer Shark. Yes, he does. <laughs> One of the three Sega CD games I own, so- Sewer Shark. <laughs> I thought you liked that one, Joe. Oh, man, that game was hard, dude. That game was hard. I beat, it. I beat the yeah. game, though. It's so hard choosing left or right. No, I had, no, it's uh, left, right, up, and down. You had to shoot. Oh, you had to sorry, get a certain sorry. number of points. It was a whole thing. I had two more. Robert Patrick, the T-1000, has yep. an early appearance. That, that was another one of the Sphinx Bingo. My gosh, you're hitting all of them for me. Is right off the, the bat. And then the other one I had was uh, Sheila McCarthy, who is the annoying-ass reporter. <laughs> um, but this, did anyone catch what she's recently been in? No. She's in the first, I haven't seen the second season yet, but she's in the first season of Umbrella Academy. She's the one that runs the donut shop. Oh. All right. Isn't that crazy? I was like, I yeah. know who she is. And I, okay. it came to me, like, right at that moment. Yeah. So. And then the other little obscure one, real quick, uh, John Leguizamo's in this for two seconds. Most of his scenes were cut, and the one that was in, they dubbed his voiceover. There was I two. Saw, oh, I saw man. two scenes, and most of them were his side of his face leaving the shot. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what, what is he in the movie? I saw that when I was doing my it's research. A he's, a, he's one of the bad guys running the board in the church. Yeah, it's okay. He plants some, I think he plants some C4. 
Yeah. Okay. But he had okay. a bigger right. role. They just cut it all out. Yeah, because he sucks. <laughs> Whoa. 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 I was going to do net worth real quick. Oh, yeah. before the All right. Get, get to the net worth. Sorry. Okay. Let's let's run through them quick. Uh, Reginald Vell Johnson. LBJ, what do you think for Reginald Vell? He's got that sweet, sweet family matters money. He's yeah, not dead. Yeah, Winslow money. Dead. No. He's not dead. I just saw him interviewed last week on a TV show. Uh, oh, good for him, though. $7 million. Okay. Chops? Three. Sphinx? Yeah, I'll say two and a half. I was I was gonna say two and a half, so I'm gonna go three point one. <laughs> Five million dollars, guys. Don't underestimate that family matters money. Uh, okay, this guy I had to look up to see if he was dead. Uh, Dennis Franz. <laughs> well, he's not dead. He just apparently is retired from acting. So, what do you guys think for Dennis Franz? Dead? I. Uh, I think he's washed up and broke. So wait, okay, wait, wait, well, hold on. Is it like regular broke or like DMX broke? <laughs> DMX broke. Okay, so negative ten million dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, can I wait? This is this, this is just a podcast of side sidetracked. But I just want to let you know I looked up DMX's net worth recently. <laughs> up, he's, he's only at negative a million dollars now. So. Oh, oh look at those, him, Trump, right? those Trump to X cuts and I IRS records. Okay, Dennis Cross, did you have a did you have a guest that I? Uh yeah, I'll, I'll go. I'll go with one hundred and twenty thousand. Okay, wow. uh, you're going real close to broke. Sphinx. Uh, I'm gonna say opposite. I'll say like eight million. Okay, chops. Six. LPJ. Oh, six million and one dollar. Uh, you guys really lowball on Dennis Front. Sixteen million dollars for Dennis Front. Smart. He's got that sweet, sweet NYPD blue money. I get paid a bonus to show your butt, probably. Uh, okay, what about Bonnie Bedelia? What do you think about Bonnie Bedelia, LPJ? I was surprised. I didn't think, didn't think she was still alive. Um, <laughs> I, I check on that before I look up their net worth. Three million. Okay. Chops. Eight. Okay. Sphinx. One. Dead eight. Five. Two million dollars for Bonnie Bedelia. Okay, last two. William Atherton. William Atherton. Dead eye. What do you think? He's still alive. I'm surprised about that. He's, he's alive. Um, and like uh, Bill Murray says in Ghostbusters, yes, it's true. This man has no dick. <laughs> I kept doing that when we were watching the movie. I kept pointing out to my wife. I was like, hey, doesn't that kind of have a dick? She goes, why do you keep saying that? And I was like, uh, you know, he's he, he before His he did name it, the EPA in New York, it was terrible. And she's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I was like, well, I guess the divorce papers are gonna be hot. Um, <laughs> okay, what do you think for William uh, Atherton? Uh, give me uh, three million. Okay, Sphinx, I'll say four. Okay, Chops, ten. I think you got into some okay. trouble recently. I'm gonna say two million. 
five million dollars for oh. William Rappaport. And then finally, Bruce Willis. And don't forget to include that sweet, sweet moonlighting money. LBJ, what do you think? I remember he was doing well. Uh, two fifty. Okay. Chops. Uh, two hundred. Okay. Sphinx. I was gonna say two hundred, so I'll say two ten. And. Uh, what what uh what LPJ say two fifty? Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm going three because I was gonna go at two, so I'm also go real high. <laughs> it's two fifty on the on the on the nose there, uh, LBJ. So, uh, and that is all I have. Well, no Robert Costanzo. We don't get to guess his uh, sewer shark money. <laughs> <laughs> hey, please at least refer to it as that sweet sweet sewer shark <laughs> money. You can't. You can't. It's it's bitter sewer shark money. It's bottom of the barrel. <laughs> Smells like fish sewer shark money. <laughs> All right, let's lightning round this guy. <sighs> well, you okay? <laughs> Wait, okay. Uh, I know what you were trying to do there. Uh, who is Rennie Harlan formerly married to? Gina Davis. Gina Davis. Gina Davis is correct. What other movie did we have Fred Thompson in? Oh, uh, James Bond movie, right? Nope. No. Um, we had mentioned it already today. Came out same year. Hunt for October. Hunt for Red October. Robert Costanzo was a cop in three other movies we've done. Do you know what the three are? I don't. <laughs> uh, Total Recall. Total Recall. Uh, Commando? No, not Commando. Nope. We also have already mentioned it today. Movie I hated. Dick Tracy. Dick Tracy. <laughs> the other one would be hard to know. Okay. But I know it's a movie Hovercraft Joe loves. Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Oh, he's oh. Harvey Bullock. Yeah. He's Harvey Bullock in, on all of the Batman uh, animated series stuff. Yep. Uh, what other Bruce Willis sequel came out in 1990? Uh, <laughs> Dead Becomes Her 2? Where was that? Dead Becomes Her 2. Bruce Willis sequel? Oh, look who's talking to. Look who's talking to. (laughs) Dang it. What other movie uses the fictional country Val Verde? Commando. Commando. It is Commando. There's actually a couple others, too, that it's mentioned. Well, that we've done on the show, at least. And how many airports were used in the shooting of the scene when John McClane almost got run over by the plane? I think it's like four. Okay. Four for Overcraft Joe. I'm going to go with five. Five for Chops. Three for LPJ. I'm going six. The answer is eight. (laughs) Do you know where the 70 million went now? Eight airports they used for that scene. Two in Michigan. Apparently the airport in Alpena and the airport in Sault Ste. Marie were some of the snowy shots that we saw. Before he got run over by the plane. All right, fair enough. Eight fucking airports. <laughs> That's crazy. Did, that uh, is my lightning round. I have kind of a bonus lightning round, and I'm sure people probably looked this up, but did anybody see that this movie has the highest body count of any Die Hard film? Did anyone look up what the, what the body count is? I didn't see the number, no. but I saw that it was. Was it like uh, 58? Something like, like that? No, it, you know, it's way more, because you have to count the people who got on the plane. Yeah, yeah. It, 
It's 271 <laughs> because 235 people were on the plane that blows up. So that's an intense body count. And let me Can just I... tell you, we're going to talk about it. That's brutal. Like, I, I did not remember that part. And, like, whatever. We can just talk about it. Yeah, let's like, talk about make, it right now. <laughs> they make a point of, like, showing you who's on the plane, showing you that there's, like, little kids on the plane and some old lady. Like, why do we need that establishing shot of all these people on the plane and then a couple seconds later, boom. It is so fucking dark. Like, it just puts you in a horrible mood because you're right. They show all of these happy scenes inside the cabin of all of these people that you know are going to blow up in this plane on Christmas Eve. It's like, why did you do that to us? If the plane would have just crashed, it still would have been sad, but it is the fact that you put that scene in ahead of time of those people. I've and clearly, Chief O'Brien. I love Chief O'Brien. I've clearly seen too many of these movies because I am numb to that fact. Yeah. yeah. I, I did, it didn't surprise me, but I just like the fact that like everyone in the room after the plane crashes was just like, whoa, okay, that was a that was like a bit of an escalation, right? Like, we know you're in charge, but like... You didn't yeah. have to bring a whole plane down. No, you you need to do that to establish the villainy of the 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 villain. It makes John McClane look like a greater hero as he goes on to take down someone who's villainous enough to crash a plane full of people. Not and really. Yeah, it I, absolutely I, is necessary. It's a necessary plot device to make the villain more extreme. Villains need to be villainous. You can't just say I'm going to do all these they, bad things they, and not do anything. Then you're Voldemort. You couldn't even kill a little kid. I tell you what, what, Hans Gruber is an awesome villain because he's fun. But Colonel whatever, William Sanders. Yeah, Colonel Sanders. (laughs) 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 William Sanders is an asshole. And I wish for his ass to be murdered badly. You know? And he gets exactly what's coming to him, right? Because the exact thing happens. He would have been much better killed how General the General Dave was killed. I would have been been more satisfying. That that would have been a more satisfying death. I have a problem with that fight scene, like on the wing. Because first of all, they're on the way. There's issues with that scene. Well, the the fighting is the fighting isn't my issue. My issue is all of the guys on the plane, not a single one of them looked out the window to see what was going on. Or like (laughs) they all had guns. The door was already open. Well, they no, couldn't they just shot they the couldn't shoot the wing. Couldn't shoot the gun because yeah. the fuel tank was there. Fine, but either yeah. way, they could have all gone out there and tackled him. The the real crime of that scene is the fact that he has a knuckle guard on a knife. <laughs> What's well, the point of that? What is the point? Of, it it wants to be a sword, but it's not a sword. It's a knife with a knuckle guard. No. That looked dumb. Also, for the record, uh, jet fuel has a low spark point. So you can actually put cigarettes out in it, and it won't burn. Well, my, not, my question about that die harder. My question yeah, about really skipping ahead on this movie. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> We're going backwards. Yeah, what happened? Sorry. When did this happen? Can I can I mention one more thing about the plane scene because Fuck we're you. there? Um, like, how did he not see that McLean like ripped open the fuel tank and that it was spilling out all over the place? I thought it was pretty obvious that he was like yoink, but he like seems to go back to that. He's like, it's fine, take off. So, anyways, we skipped around a lot. Okay, guys, we'll get to our ratings on it. 
<laughs> All right, now back to the plot. All right. Okay, plot. Let's go. Ready, go. <laughs> Do we? Do we lose Fix again? Fix are you there? Before Christmas. Oh, it's just, I, I guess one thing about this movie, I, it sounds like Hovercraft Joe and I are going to be pretty similar on our ranking at the end. I feel like this movie has way too much going on, and it starts at the very beginning. They I, just talk all of this fucking information in front of us to start off this film. I mean, yeah, we get the really fun scene that McLean's at the airport, his car is literally getting towed as right after it shows the Die Hard screen. Which was really loud. That was so loud. There is is an extreme amount of exposition delivered through news broadcasts at the beginning of this movie. Like, it's like, News broadcast, new broadcast. It was like, do do I need this much background in order to understand this movie? We found I out- don't think I do. We know the entire story behind uh, General, what's his name, Lorenzo or whatever it Esperanza. is. You know, yeah, Esperanza. Thank you. I think his first name's Lorenzo. No, it's, but it's uh, no, Lorenzo, Lorenzo, Lorenzo's Lorenzo's character. <laughs> anyway, yeah, we get this whole side plot about how this general in a fake country that's supposed to be pretty much in Central America does all these drugs. He's being extradited into the United States. He's going to be held for crimes. And that's where we see naked William Sadler doing Tai Chi somewhere in his hotel room, I guess. And then there's just a whole lot of pieces going on within the airport itself, right? We find out that Holly is on a plane from L.A., to Washington, D.C. They're in Washington, D.C. because they're visiting Holly's parents for the holiday, right? So we, we kind of have all of that going on. Um, of course, you know, there's kind of this theme that doesn't really get played out particularly well, that John McClane is not a fan of technology. So we keep getting these references in the beginning of the movie about how he doesn't know how to use a fax machine. I love how his beeper keeps going off. God, is that not 1990 or what, right? I mean, so you and McLean both share share not liking technology. That's one trivia. And a butter boy here. He'll agree, too. You know, it goes from fax machines to Elon Musk to robots, okay? It all escalates very quickly into... Cybernetic dolphins taking over the planet. I'm, all right, I'm all right. Keep your weird conspiracy theories down here. That's a different so podcast. I have, another, I have another question about all this, like the the download of information we get immediately. Like, so Colonel Stewart, the main bad guy in this movie, why at the beginning is he walking around the airport? Like, why is he there? Like, thirteen thousand people at the airport, and he just so happens to bump into John McClane. Okay, yeah. Come on, it is fun, though, when the reporter asks them, hey, can Colonel Stewart, can I get a word? And what does he reply with? Two words. Fucking you. <laughs> There's another one on the Sphinx bingo list if you want to check it out. <laughs> yeah, I think that's how Sphinx handles uh, when students ask him questions after hours at school. Hey, uh, Mr. Sphinx, can I ask you some questions? Yeah, yeah two words for you. <laughs> Today may be my first day of vacation, so Deadeye, you're not that far off. <laughs> Um, anyway, I mean, is there anything else we want to bring up about this, this side plot? It really does take up, like, the first 15 minutes of this movie. Side plot? It's the only plot of the movie. Well, yeah, it's not side plot. It's it's establishing plot. But it's I think establishing plot. But I think you're right. I, I think it does drag on a little bit. And, I mean, essentially, you know, McLean hunts down these guys, yeah. figures out that... 
terrorists and yeah that's the thing is that john mcclain is kind of going off on a pretty weak whim and he just thinks like like if i remember right he's sitting in like one of the airport bars and he's just looking at the the people that are working with the colonel and they look a little conspicuous right they got these packages underneath their feet and they look kind of military-esque and big and apparently that's enough that McLean then starts to track them down. He sees a gun in one of their pockets. He sees a gun and he sees them hand off a package under the table discreetly. I mean, keep in mind, he's a detective. This is literally what he does for his job. I get that, but it's Christmas Eve at Dulles airport in Washington, DC. He just happens to sit next to these people. In the across the way from it. Yeah, Sphinx, we're we're five minutes into talking about the plot, and you've already disparaged the power of both serendipity of <laughs> of John McClane bumping into the colonel and the the power of a detective's hunch. You're, <laughs> you're really knocking down what makes crime solving great for movies, and uh, I'm not going to have you just tearing down these plot devices. I'm yeah, sorry. See, you got to keep in mind, Dennis. You got to keep in mind that it, unless it's one hundred percent believable, Sphinx will shit all over it. True. I'm sorry that I found this to be really far fetched. I mean, granted, the Die Hard movies are far fetched. The whole movie's far fetched. I, I know it is, but it just—I don't know. You gotta it let go. You gotta let well, don't don't drag me down with you. I, I do think it's a little weird that he bumps into the general and that. The, the guy who's launching this whole plot is walking around the airport at the beginning. I don't think it's that strange that he thinks that guy's shady, so he's like, I'm going to see what's going on and follows him because he thinks it's weird that that guy goes into the luggage room where he's not supposed Sphinx, to be. I'm okay with that. Is this any less believable than in Inglorious Bastards when Hitler goes into a movie theater that they just happen to plan an attack on and Guarantee he dies? No, no, no. Cantino intentionally make that far-fetched. I feel like this was supposed to act believable. That's where I have issues with movie plots, is where it seems like they're trying to make this seem believable. I still have a job on this podcast. (laughs) You know what? You gave me the reign to take over the plot. So anyway, he follows them into the luggage area, Pretty cool beginning fight. You know, they're shooting it out. You realize that the two people that he followed are definitely a big deal. He talks about the the weapons themselves, how they're special military grade. Obviously, he's fighting hand-to-hand with these guys, so he realizes these are not people to screw with. This is also, I think, where we already get the beginning of, again, me going attacking in this movie a little bit, that these former military people, I'm sorry, they would beat the living shit out of John McClane, but he seems to be holding his own pretty darn well. Now you're disparaging tenacity. Yeah. Disparaging all the things that make Patriots great. Yeah. He survived Nakatomi Plaza. He's he's scrappy. Like, that's his thing. He's scrappy, dude. He's scrappy. And And they underestimated him. I guess I, I guess I didn't know. I don't know gun mechanics very well. But he said those guns are made of porcelain. Yeah, that's not real. Yeah, that's not a real thing. Okay, yeah. I, I guess though that the Glock does have a lot of plastic components, but okay. I guess too an X-ray could still detect that it's a gun. Yeah, they're yeah. not. So... Um, yeah, they're not. They're not radio wave 
Uh, they're not radio wave permissible. They're radio wave reflective. So yeah. the x-rays would still bounce off them and they would see them. So, so I, the claim... Well, I'm sorry, go ahead, Hovercraft Joe. I was just going to say, I think maybe just to make this a little easier, let's explain what Colonel Stewart's like overall like plot is and kind of get that out of the way. Yeah. His, that, his overall plan is that he wants to bring in uh the 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 general that's being flown in esperanza yeah so he is essentially working on a plot that the plane's going to land where he wants it to land another plane is going to be ready so that he can pretty much take off with him somewhere where they can't be found or whatever it may be well they have they have their own they take over basically the the flight tower so they're in control of all the equipments the lights and everything for the airport. So all the planes that are circling, they can't land because they turn off the lights. And that's when what what we talked about already, like to prove that they have control of the airport, that's when they tell that plane to land. And they're like, they lower the ground level and all the stuff like that. What's what's their end goal though? Like they're to get the general and take them to another country and what though? If they're I, taking them to a country that doesn't have extradition, I was going to say just to get asylum, I guess. Yeah, they're going to take you to another country that's another Central American country that sympathizes with General Esperanza that doesn't have extradition. And then Esperanza is going to pay Captain Stewart and all his men an absorbent amount of money. And they're basically just going to live in the Caribbean and, and you know, retire. So it's like, it's like hired militia? The, no, they're not even militia. Just like they're hired, hired mercenaries to get him Oh, oh, okay, because it just it seems like it seemed like the general and um, Stuart or whatever the military guy they, they just seemed like they were invested in him. It didn't seem like that they were hired for him. Oh, they're getting invested I, in getting paid. I, I agree. Like they no, they acted like like they're like hugging and everything. Yeah, they it like seemed like they were him. way more invested. And to be honest, that's the only way I think you could really explain it. Like, why would Colonel Stewart? Go through all of this trouble for this guy he just for money. Fucking mission. Well, and I think, well, I think the underlying, and I don't know if this is like a rewrite or something. Maybe they had to cut, but it, but from the fact that one of the guys is already marked dead because of being under like black ops operations, I'm a, I've had the feeling that it was like they're doing this to get the money that they deserve or they thought they should get for doing things for the U.S. government that was under the radar but didn't get. That's the only way well, that I really could justify it. Yeah, that's not really I, I feel like that there was some kind of exposition in, that I kind of glossed over in those news reports when they were – because he's like a dis- – Colonel Stewart's like dis- yeah. disgraced or something like that. Yeah. And I didn't – I guess I didn't pick up on why he's disgraced, but like, so I think it is kind of a thing, kind of like, kind of like uh, The Rock, if you will, with um, Ed Harris, where he's like trying to get back at the U.S., you know, he like, he feels like he was, yeah, because he feels like he was wrong. So I think that's a big part of it, you know? Okay. Yes, he was there in one of those news blurbs that talks about him being somehow punished or disparaged by Congress. And it it may in, uh, lead into him being in a sympathizer in some sort of way with with the general or something. So uh, th- there's a little bit of groundwork laid for the motive behind more than just getting paid. But let's be honest, it's about it's about that sweet cheddar. It's <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. savory cheddar. So after <laughs> after the fight in the luggage. McLean essentially gets arrested because he didn't have his badge, but then they 
find his badge in the luggage, and then he heads up to uh, the police station at the airport to talk to Lorenzo, right, who we who we get into contact with. And Lorenzo recognizes it's John McClane. He doesn't want to deal with his sideshow shit, so he just kind of pushes him aside, and that's where... McLean just goes to the coroner <laughs> and takes the fingerprints off the dead guy. I thought That's that was what... pretty creative. I'll yeah. be honest with you. I thought for him, that was pretty creative. Yeah. I liked how the coroner just let him do it. Like, oh, okay. Even though I, it's my job as the coroner to do it. But no, they, they, they weren't coroners. They were just... Um... It said coroner on the yeah. back of his jacket. Yeah, but they're not... Oh, well, I don't know. I just assumed that they were ambulance drivers. Yeah. So then we get Paul. Don't overlook a smooth talker, Sphinx. You're really overlooking a lot of things here. If With you're the just fingerprints. corner and, and smooth talking, John McLean comes up to you, you give him, you give the man what he wants. He's too charming. I think I think he flashed his badge too. So yeah, yeah. He, did. he did flash the badge. Uh, then we get uh, Powell shows up. Uh, he sends the fax to Powell in L.A. while he's shoving Twinkies oh, down his well, throat. He doesn't show up. He calls him. Yeah, he calls him. Sorry. Um, and that's where they find out, as I believe LPJ was saying, or maybe it was Chops, that the guy's been dead for two years. So obviously something's going on much deeper if they're able to have federal documents that say that he's dead when he's really alive. Then we get introduced to Fred Thompson because Bruce Willis just decides to walk to the tower. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's the thing. Like, the security in this airport is straight garbage. Well, and the fact so that so many people get, get into the, the tower, tower. To get to the tower, don't you have to go through their police department to do that? Yes, because Lorenzo <laughs> bitches at two of them. Right. And I they do, don't do anything. I, I do have a note that says, McLean just wanders into the flight. <laughs> charm. Charm. Never underestimate the charm. Uh, also, times I, he shows up wherever he wants. Can I be honest with you guys? My note says, McLean just wanders into the flight tower. Radio tower? Dot, dot, dot. Can't think of the right name. Control tower. <laughs> yes, air traffic control tower. Yeah. And so that's when, yeah, as Hovercraft Joe mentioned, that's when Colonel Stewart takes control. And he tells him what he needs, right? He tells the air, the airport what he wants, which is he wants, you know, uh, the he wants a plane uh, fully gassed and ready to go in a hangar of his choosing so that when Esperanza lands, uh, they're going to be ready to, to get him in, get him well, in there and out of, out of the way. Yeah. And, and it's, is it weird? So do they, do they cut? <laughs> All right. I need, a, I need an electrician's uh, expertise on this. So LBJ, you're going to stand in for an expert electrician. Do they cut the power to the tower or do they just like, plug into its like internet connection See, to get access because that's a couple they things. made it seem like they made it seem like they cut the power but all the screens are still on they still have radar but they can't do anything yeah so uh, there's a couple issues with this one i don't know why their lines going going out from the control tower actually that's what I can't figure out. I don't know why why the lines would be going under some kind of civilian residence. Like they're just I don't power know why lines. Um, and if they're just power lines, lines they, they would do nothing for data, right? No, I, everything's radio controlled. So, you know, it's all it's radio 1990. waves. It's all radio waves. It's not like hardwired in. 
So I don't know. Yeah. I, I have no idea. Like the technolo- technological uh, workaround that they do, I have no idea how it's even possible. Because it's not like they could just splice a live wire. Because they legit cut into a live wire with like sparks flying, which is they'd be dead if they did that. Um, no, no, that's and, and, oh, it's fine. He's got gloves on with the chainsaw. They set up their own portable <laughs> tower in a church, and I just I don't understand how they could get that equipment without being tracked and know I, that the equipment you need to, to do that. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, I really don't know. I don't know the logistics of how that even is even possible. I can't think of how it would be possible. Um, but there it is. Yeah. As Here, a, go ahead. Uh, that I, as a uh, former professional broadcaster, member of the radio industry, all I can tell you is all that technology shown hundred percent real, easy to set up. <laughs> anyone could do it. You don't need to be special black ops or anything. You guys are overthinking it. It's just radio stuff. It's super real. All right. This is also though, where I have another really big issue with this movie. All right. Oh, and it, and it got me. Right. And, and this is going to be super dorky because I am a social studies teacher, but I don't care. Oh, All right. shut the fuck up then. So Stuart, no, Stuart says that, you know, all these planes are left in the air, right? They're left in these different beacons to essentially rotate around Dulles so that they can Dulles. eventually Dulles. land. For the love of God, it's what Dulles. What I said, Dulles. So no, they can the eventually land, okay? Here's the problem, all right? Shut up. You picked Washington, D.C., Dulles Airport. Port, which I've been to. You're okay? still saying it wrong, but yes. I don't care. <laughs> Ronald Reagan Airport is literally 45 minutes away from this airport, and the airport in Baltimore is an hour and a half away. If this problem truly happened, all you would need to simply do is tell all of these planes to just land in the other DC airport or the Baltimore airport, or the Richmond airport, or the Philadelphia airport, because they're all within, like, 200 miles of each other. Well, well I, you, you know what? Have, you wouldn't have to deal with any of this. It's a, it's a, shame. It's a shame you weren't it. there to help them out. I know. They, they established that they were already getting reroutes from other airports. Only and, the ones and that were this, far enough out were getting and rerouted. And, and no, the the they were getting air, air they were getting planes from other airports because of the storm coming in. Yeah. Their runways are too icy. So I think every single other airport within a distance <laughs> was just had too much ice. It, it was just too icy. It wasn't safe. Which, do you notice how at the end they never actually like shoveled the 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 track right well, they, they never the but, didn't work. like when they're landing it's just like the planes are landing in like a foot of snow it's like it's what? A, it's it's another a- issue it's washington dc it doesn't snow in washington dc i've been there in the winter it's like 50 degrees how hey, many, t- how many times have you been there in the winter has you been there every winter what <laughs> Oh, twice. twice. So the two times you went, it didn't snow, twice. which clearly means it never snows there ever on any day because you were there twice. Based on the Tampa side, that's correct. I mean, can I just say that Marvin was my favorite character in the movie? Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> Marvin was the best. Is that a janitor? Yeah. Oh, I hated the janitor. He's weird. He's, he's, he's not like Argyle. He's not as good as Argyle, but wow. he's just as good as Argyle. Come on now. I did not like 
I did not like the janitor, and I felt like he was featured way too much in the movie. It was like one scene I was like, okay, and then he like goes back to him, and I'm like, I'm sick of this well, guy. Well, if it makes you feel any better, uh, there were several parts of him that were cut out of the movie. You know what? It does make me feel better. He was better. like a, he was yeah. a better world spoken sling blade. That's what he was. <laughs> we we um, have this other scene where Esperanza murders the one guy watching him as security on the plane. And then he murders the pilots so that he can land the plane, which I don't understand why that was needed, but he conveniently had a walkie-talkie under the the dashboard of the plane. So that was really, really useful for him. Let's not pretend this movie is locked tight with its plot, okay? (laughs) Let's not pretend. Nobody, Nobody is saying this movie is, you know, Jonathan Nolan level... Uh, uh, plot here. Yeah. Or Christopher Nolan so, plot. It doesn't say Die Hard two based on a true story. Okay, it's just it's <laughs> Die Hard. Yeah. It's, it's not like called, it's not like we're talking a Chuck Norris movie here. Yeah, it's also <laughs> called Die Hard two Die Harder. Let's not give it any more credit than its title. Right. True. G- give Esperanza, us the grains of salt it deserves. Esperanza lands. That's the way of a good story. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Esperanza lands the plane. Dulles, John McClane Dulles is there Airport. to greet him. Dulles. Dulles. At Dulles. No. Nope. In Dallas, Texas. They landed That's in a snowy Dallas, Dallas, Texas. I'm saying, don't fuck you both. All of you. <laughs> fuck all y'all. Okay. <laughs> anyway, let's get to even more bizarre shit of this movie. McClane shows up right when the plane lands. He's like, Freedom! Not yet, and fucking punches him right in the face. Then he fucking shoots Esperanza, which seems like that would be an issue since this guy is a war criminal internationally. But then McLean gets locked into the cockpit, where then Stuart shows up with his goons. They shoot the shit up out of the cockpit, and then toss nine, twelve grenades into the cockpit. With which McLean escapes by using the injector seat on the pilot. And as he shoots up into the air and the flames are all over the place, he's got the iconic screaming of, and he just happily lands down to his safety. So you have a problem with that, that whole idea? Yes. If I'm not mistaken, James Bond did that just a few years later in uh, Goldeneye. Yeah. And I, I mentioned I, in the Goldeneye that that scene was a little ridiculous. A for little Goldeneye. ridiculous. <laughs> Just a little it's a good thing in the late 80s, early 90s, they made uh, especially long-fused grenades. I did have a question where I'm like, how long do grenades, like, like when you pull a pin and throw a grenade, like, I feel like it blows up pretty fast. Isn't that okay, the thing about grenades? Despite popular belief, because it snows so much in DC, the grenades were, were delayed <laughs> because they were so cold. The fuses were delayed. Also, second question: Does a big cargo plane like that have an ejector seat? <laughs> Why would I'm it? Pretty sure it doesn't. Does any plane have one? Well, this one's going from <laughs> from what, like Central America, South America? Like they got to be ready for anything, you know? So yeah, they probably have ejector. Listen, I want to. I want to circle back because we skipped over something pretty important 
real quick that I feel like we need to cover. Um, oh, because they, was, it the, was it the golf clubs in the luggage section with no lid and those golf clubs? Those golf clubs are obviously going to get lost. Like, <laughs> yeah. can, if we're going to bring that up, can we bring up that when they had that whole flight in the luggage? It's Christmas. John McClane ruined a whole bunch of people's Christmases by having all that luggage thrown all around. You know, and, and so, did, uh, so did the uh, terrorists when they blew those people up. I would counter that he saved. I would counter that he saved more Christmases when he got all the planes to land at the end. Anyways, what I want to say is one of the plots we skipped over is that the the one guy I can't remember the guy the technician guy he has a plan. And he's like, hey, if we can get out to the satellite array and hook up to that, we can get the planes land. So, and the Andy Skywalk. Yes. So the airport has a SWAT team, which I thought was weird. But anyway, so the, the SWAT team goes, the SWAT team gets wasted by all these terrorists when they show up, including Robert Patrick, because I have a note that says, oh, hey, Robert Patrick, and then he immediately dies. But anyway, so this entire SWAT team of like 15 guys gets killed by like four terrorists, and then McLean shows up, takes them all out by himself. All of them. Those scenes, those scenes were also like just way too much slow-mo deaths on everything. <laughs> the SWAT like, team that probably so has flak jackets on, they all get massacred. John McClane in the wife beater takes them all down. Yeah, well, okay. and then the other it's question a, is air quote SWAT team. Uh, airport SWAT team is just off-duty bartenders they gave guns to. In fact, yeah. <laughs> that's true. That's, that's clearly what happened. But, but also, to, to really put a point on this, if the terrorists weren't worried about blowing up the array, why didn't they just do it to begin with? <laughs> I don't know. Cause a scene. But also, at the same time, with all the, with the plane crashing and all that being in the middle of D.C., there would be military there immediately no matter what yeah. whether they called them or not the military would just be there yeah and then mclean makes a valid point when only like eight show up he's like what the fuck why are there only eight of you here now right yeah well yeah and the guy's like don't tell us how to do our job and then he gets locked out again how come Fred Thompson keeps locking John McClane out? If it wasn't for fucking John McClane, the whole fucking place would have been blown up at this it, point. It's like they're trying to keep it under wraps. Like, shh, if we don't say a plane crashed, nobody in the airport will know a plane crashed. And so that, like, when the news breaks, that's when everybody panics. Like, I'm pretty sure you're going to hear a plane crash in the airport you're in. Snow really dampened sound chops. Don't forget about that. That's true. It's the cold, <laughs> the cold prevented the sound from traveling. Not to, yeah. not, also, to yeah. what, not to not to damper this a bit, but several years ago, when the plane crashed in the middle of the expressway here in in Michigan, uh, <laughs> it blew out windows for like five to six miles around. So I'm also, pretty sure they would have heard. Would the would the plane actually have blown up? Uh, like, do you think it just uh, would have crashed? Like, I, it would have crashed, but would have. No, you're right. Let's talk, let's talk more about this depressing disaster. fact on what? how these people would die. No, let's get into it, Sphinx. How let's, how mauled no, would these bodies be? There, no, I mean, really, there is, there was. Wow. <laughs> I think episode, the plane, I, I feel sorry for all of our listeners today. The plane <laughs> would have exploded because if you look again. If you look at the flight that landed in the middle of the expressway here, it did explode. So I would imagine what with real world experience being seen, you know, it would have maybe not that dramatically, but let's be fair. When our, when our, when our listeners pull this episode up and see who the two guests are, two of our most notorious off the rails guests, 
they know what they're in for. Especially, when especially when they see that the runtime is going to pass uh, um, an hour and 30 minutes easily. Oh, boy. Uh, they're, oh, yeah, they're they're you haven't even given us the wrap it up sign yet. It's not. What's the point? What's the and point? I've even been well behaved. I would say. I haven't done anything wrong. Uh, all right. What? Let's tie it back. Let's tie it back. So yeah, let's buzz through the rest of this. Yeah. To, to skip through a little bit. So the military shows up. They McLean finds out through the one guy that's working at the tower. You know, a guess of where they believe the the bad guys are hiding in the church. So they all get ready to fight at the church. McLean's there first. He has a pretty sweet battle with the guy outside. Yeah. That death with the icicle is pretty fucking awesome. When he shoves that thing right in his eye. Is it believable? <laughs> Shut up, chop. <laughs> the warmth of his eyeball actually would have rapidly melted the ice before it could actually pierce his brain. So I'm, I'm calling shenanigans. Also, also, just a peek into my notes, guys. I wrote icicle three different times and wasn't confident that I spelled it right any of the times. So I gave up. <laughs> I don't know how to spell that, so that's okay. <laughs> it's at this point that we notice that they keep switching um, uh, packs Magazines. of ammunition. Magazines. And, and, yeah. Yeah, thank you. And so then we figure out that they're shooting blanks at each other, which then makes us realize, all right, yep, the government, people, you know, the, the, the major, he is in on all of this as well. McLean doesn't yet know that yet because the major chews out Lorenzo. So then McLean's like, yeah, I guess you're not such a bad asshole after all. And they have a fun little exchange back and forth. But then, yeah, he thinks he's a good guy again. We see that Stuart and his gang end up escaping on the side of the house through the snowmobiles. Which that chase was way too long. (laughs) Snowmobiles. I, yes. I would I would argue that not only is it too long, but why is there a snowmobile snowmobile chase in this movie? Where, and why are they on a lake? Why not? They come from. <laughs> These are all great questions that I don't have answers to. That was the, the Atlantic plane. Ocean, actually. <laughs> <laughs> They're in. You see, the both of the ocean. McLean, I don't know. I'm not a geography guy. <laughs> yeah, it's not even close, but that's okay. McLean ends up airports are big. <laughs> but, <laughs> McLean shoots one of the guys. He hops on the snowmobile. They they literally do a snowmobile joust with semi-automatic weapons where they're both charging at each other. It's actually and... Canadian national sport. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, hockey and curling. Snowmobile jousting. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow, somehow McLean doesn't get shot when Colonel Stewart, fucking former military, shoots him at point blank range. Doesn't it's an get Olympic shot sport for a reason. But it was cold, McLean, it was cold outside. Yeah, but then McLean is also pissed that he didn't shoot Stewart. But then that's when McLean realizes that he was using blanks, right? So that's how that all gets discovered. So they escape. McLean goes back to the airport, which must not be that far away for how quickly he got back. And he's trying to tell Lorenzo that the government people, the military are dirty. Lorenzo tells him to get the fuck out of here. And then McLean pretends to shoot Lorenzo in the middle of the police station. John McLean would have been fucking dead if he did that. (laughs) 
They wouldn't have waited to see if Lorenzo was okay. They would have just shot McLean. No, they would have shot the shit out of McLean. But that's obviously enough to finally convince Lorenzo that, okay, McLean, you're right. Let's get everyone together. We got to get, you know, track down these assholes. And at that point, which we didn't really mention a whole lot of this plot, fucking Richard Thornburg, the reporter, ends up hearing through smuggled on the plane electrical equipment what's going on i feel like we can honestly skip this part of the plot i'm just gonna say that he ends up doing a broadcast that causes mass hysteria at the airport so the police can't get to um the terminal or the cargo bay where the plane is it's gonna take off so mclean does track down the reporter and then he rides on the uh Helicopter. The traffic helicopter, yeah. Would they just have free reign to fly a helicopter around at an well, airport? Uh, actually, you know, maybe at this time. At I this point, know. they probably would because it's not like air traffic control is going to tell them not to. Yeah. I mean, I guess, but I just feel like that's 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 scary. Hey, yeah. uh, chops, you don't know how they do things at Dole. It was the nineties. You could smoke in the Dulles Airport, and you know. Anybody was allowed in the package. It's named after uh, former monkey Mickey Dolenz, isn't it? <laughs> no, I think it's the French pronunciation of Dole ice cream. Dolus. <laughs> actually named after a CIA director, but fuck you all again. Okay? <laughs> and that's where we end up kind of getting where we started this crazy yeah, fucking we, episode. <laughs> we really John Wick this plot. We started with the end and then we started back to it. Yes, we did. So I really don't think we need to say anymore. I mean, we kind of mentioned it. They fight on the wing of the plane. The ending fight scene should have been reversed. They should have pushed General or Colonel Stewart through the jet engine, which they should have put Sean McLean through the engine. Which, by the way, wouldn't that like destroy the engine of the plane? Engines are very resilient. We make the best engines. (laughs) Only by geniuses. They're tremendous. Don't worry about it. I like this. I Airpl- like this. Uh, Airplane like this episode. swallows so many birds. <laughs> I like this episode because it seems like Deadite was like, uh, like he talked with Brady Harwin beforehand, and he was like, "Listen, <laughs> I'm going to give you some talking points, and you're going to defend this movie." <laughs> I, I have some Hollywood connections. I'm not not willing to talk about. I it here do today. like how dirty McClane gets though when he fucking bites off Colonel uh, Stewart's finger and spits oh, it back yeah. at him. That's gross. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, he blows yeah. up the plane. He says, "You be kind, motherfucker." Um, uh, Holly gets off the plane. The stupid janitor shows up to give him a ride, and Lorenzo shows up and rips up that parking ticket that he got. Uh, it's Christmas. And then fucking let it snow plays. I will have to say my my favorite line of the whole movie is Bonnie Bedelia's line where she says, why does this keep happening? That is like the most real line in the movie. Uh, Yes, it is. And, uh, and Sphinx, I think you'll appreciate this. I think that a better line when, um, McLean killed that guy with the icicle would have been, it's ice to meet you. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. Call up Steven D'Souza. Let's get a rewrite. Why oh, you would have said, cool party. <laughs> Why don't you just chill? Um, what so about, what about that... ice see you? Uh... 
Uh, see, that works double good because you get stabbed in the eye and it's ice. So I, I think yeah, that wins. Yes. How many, um, in, 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 okay, Sphinx, since you know airports because you're a geography teacher or whatever, um, <laughs> two questions for you. Two questions for you. I, I will say, I do like the, I teach social studies, so this is what I know about airports. Right. I mean, I, I haven't been in school in a while, but I didn't think that was covered in social studies. Public it's a school. Flex, so it does. Public school's changed a lot since we've been in it, Joe. Um, they so, teach reading and writing now. I didn't know that. Question, two questions. One, how many planes can you land on one runway? <laughs> and two, do all airports have like a giant tunnel system that's underneath all the runways? Because I don't think that's safe, right? That's that's not that's not how it's built, right? No. No. Please elaborate more than just saying no. Yes, well, I, let's ask Sphinx the airport engineer of airport. Yeah, I'm not a fucking yeah, engineer of airport. You kind of displayed yourself as an expert there, so. Yeah, if you're going to half flex and say you're a soul studies teacher, you need to go all the way and claim to be an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. But no, for right. real, like, I don't know how many how right. many airplanes could they land on one runway, one, run, one runway, and they're using the burning wreckage of another plane to land. Yeah, you can't. That's the answer. You can't. So, well, did, I, so. <laughs> well, anyways, we made it to the end of the movie. Um, <laughs> you know, you know what's funny? This episode has gone off the rails as expected. I'm not even getting into it. As we discussed a little bit, they shot some of the airport scenes in Alpena, Michigan. I found a great article from the LA Times written in March of 1990 talking about it. It's not that long, but we've gone too too far off the rails. We should have looked for, like, an Alpina local news uh, story. For but, it, but basically, like, the, the cliff notes are is that, like, they had, like, they took up, like, every hotel room in the town. Uh, there was, like, 400 people they flew in. They said they think they pumped, like, a hundred million, or not a hundred, a million dollars into the economy in Alpina for, like, the three or four days they were there. So, um, Alpina is not like a two-minute shot. It's it's a pretty fun article. I'll I'll post it in our uh, Discord. So if anyone wants to uh, link it and check it out, there you go. All right. Any role reversal, No, I didn't, I didn't find anything role reversal wise. Um, what about that role reversal where Charles wanted John McClane to get thrown? <laughs> Wouldn't that have been a crazy twist? <laughs> Just dies at the end of the movie in the terrorist yeah. win. He would die harder in a, in a jet engine while it was on for sure than a normal death. Yeah. Actually, seems to be a pretty easy death. I think you die real quickly. Like, drowning <laughs> is a harder way to die. Is it? Are we rating harder on the difficulty for the person dying? I would. I'm, oh, I'm going to say you suck into a jet engine to die easy. I'm going to say the hardest, way to die, the hardest way to die is light strangulation. Yeah, yeah. Or being erotic association, or being on the show today. <laughs> I was gonna say, the hardest way to die is like being on this episode that's never going to end, and we eventually all die of starvation because we're stuck talking about Die Hard Two for like the rest. Die of Die Harder. It'll blend into the third one eventually. Uh, all right. I'm in, I'm anything exhausted. else we're gonna bring up? No, I'm I'm tired. I, th- I think we're ready to rate it. <laughs> All right, I gotta, I gotta, my, I gotta throw, go through my notes here real quick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had the same ending song as the first movie. 
Yes, that's why we played it in the beginning of the episode, you jackass. Yeah, I know, I'm just trying to express <laughs> out more. Alright, I'm hitting the button. Alright, so, uh... Oh, oh I have one last thing. Go ahead, please, Chuck, please, please. The, the, reporter, the, reporter, the reporter said, give me the story and I'll have your baby. <laughs> crazy line. Crazy. Yeah, Stay away that. from that lady. Also, the girl that worked at the front desk was trying to take John McClane out for drinks. Yeah, that's that's true. true. John McClane should have taken her up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Josh, Deadite, one of you gets to go first or choose one of us to go first for our rating. You know what? Screw it. Sphinx, go first. Just go. I, I, you know what? The first Die Hard movie is crazy, but I feel like when the movie is done, there's enough in there that you can think to yourself, something like this could happen. Like it, like it was well thought of. We talked about it on the episode that the first Die Hard was a smart action movie. We did talk about it on that episode. It is a smart action movie. This movie is not. And I don't think it ever planned to be from the beginning. Um, I mean, it is Die Hard and I enjoy it, but I can't compare it to the first one and the third one. There's just too much of it that is too much for me. And it, it does take it away. And when I finished watching it, it immediately made me remember why this is the one I watched the least of the original trilogy. Because it just kind of pisses me off in that the first one was so smart in how they played out the film. This one decides to just throw it out the window. As obviously the Rotten Tomato and IMDBM and all that shit that Hovercraft Joe talked about earlier kind of states as well, right? So, as I gave Die Hard five machine guns, I'm only giving this one three machine guns. It's a three machine gun movie for me. Still a lot of great action, but I the plot just kind of pisses me off. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Who's next? I'll go. I will go. I, I will say that this this movie definitely feels like it's a product of the first one was a success. Let's get a sequel out as soon as we can. Uh, and without thinking about how smart the first movie is. And the first movie also made Bruce Willis an action star. So, of course, he's going to want to do another one of these movies as quick as possible because he knows he's going to make bank on it. Um. So while it has its shortcomings as far as plot goes, I love its ridiculousness and its snapshot that of of its time uh, and all the things, the beepers, smoking at airports, just the straight up stupidity of people. Um, so uh, for having some crazy action scenes, some unique villains, and a weird ass plot, I do have to give it. I'm not going to go much better than you, Sphinx, but I am going to give it three and a half. It's not the first one. It will never be the first one. It won't even be close to the third one. It's probably in the same year as the fourth and the fifth. 
but uh, it's it's a fun movie. I did have fun watching it. Um, I'll go. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I I'm pretty in line with chops on this one. Um, I think this movie suffers from it. It's overstuffed. Like I understand that they had they're like, well, we got to make a bigger movie than the first one, but there's just it's like it's there's way too much going on in this movie. Like I said, we barely basically skipped the whole subplot about his wife on the plane and all the stuff going on in there. Like I, I feel like it's I understand oh, that they're granny. Like, we missed the granny with the taser. Yeah. yeah, and I I I thought she had a stethoscope on, but I guess that was just the headphones for the TV. But anyways, um I think the problem with this movie is I understand that they're like, well, we can't do the same thing because he was trapped in the building, but I feel like this one almost opens it up too much. He's in too many places. He's in the airport. He's on the runway. He's in a church. He's in a snowmobile. Like, I feel like there's, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like it's too expansive and they did, they needed to kind of pare it down a little bit. And, and I don't know, maybe just stick to the tower and the runway or something. I don't know. But that being said, I do enjoy it. I think it is a lot of fun. I think Bruce Willis is good in the movie, if a little bit exaggerated from the first one. Um, and I have seen it a bunch, and it, it, it wasn't enjoyable enough watch, so I'll, I'll give it three and a half as well. This movie <clears throat> teaches us what you can do. Despite what Sphinx says, this movie teaches us what you can do with some serendip- serendipity, a hunch, tenacity, and a maverick attitude. And how far you can go with those things. It was a fun movie to watch. I think it suffers a little bit from trying to tell you a little bit too much of what's going on, opposed to taking the opportunities to show uh, and use actual image or or um, not direct, you know, like the news blurbs in the background and those sorts of like sort of working you into the plot, letting you figure it out. I think they do too much uh, telling, not enough showing. Um, but again, a really fun movie. I, again, I don't care about the legitimacy or the realism of the plot. The plot was the plot. It's an action movie. It's going to be what it is. And it well, was fun. To, it was a fun to be fair, Dad, I, you're not a social studies teacher, so. You're right. You're right. <laughs> True, I, I, am, I, guess I am but a humble social, moron. Uh, when you become a social studies teacher, it kind of spoils movie plots for you for the rest of your life. True. Uh, it definitely wasn't the, um, you know, I agree with you guys. It wasn't as good as the first one. I've seen 90% of the third one, I can tell you. I don't think it's as good as the third one. Um, so, I, I, But I think it's slightly better than an average um, action movie, but it's much closer to being an average action movie than being an outstanding one. For me, it's it's three machine guns. All right. Well, I am unapologetic about this movie. I love it. <clears throat> um, you're right. It's overstuffed. You're right. The plot is bonkers and doesn't make sense. You're absolutely correct that there's just too much going on and that they went for it and missed on a lot of things, but they hit on a lot of things. It's enjoyable. At no point was I bored. At no point was I not entertained. Um, I like this movie a lot. Um, it, you are correct. It's not as good as the first one. And... I haven't seen the third one as much. It's probably not as good as the third one, but I haven't seen that one as much. Um, but I definitely like it a lot more than you guys do. Uh, I'm giving this a four machine gun. I'll also add that the other thing that I, I just don't like a whole lot about this movie is there isn't a lot of comedy in it. You know, the first movie was able to sprinkle in some of the humor, like Johnson and Johnson 
and Hans Gruber was a, you know, he was a fun villain to deal with. This movie doesn't have any sort of humor besides grandma with the taser, right? That's about right. it. And it kind of shoehorns his catchphrase into the series at the end. Yeah. Like it, it, it feels like it's trying to play on the tropes that were created from the first movie, but not landing how it should. And then yeah. obviously that plays into the third one, because when they throw Samuel L. Jackson into the third one, it just becomes a comic fest for the first half oh, of the movie. Great. It's great. But it's great. It is great. So they kind of overcompensate by the time they get to the third one. But Also, I feel like he should have said either welcome back to the party or welcome to the party again, pal, or something like that. Um, just, you know, in my humble opinion. That's fair. There you go. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> You did it. Chops, thanks for being here. What do you guys want to You're plug? welcome. I am on the GameZilla podcast, live on Twitch every Monday night. You can listen to the show every you listen to the Last Action podcast. We talk about uh, news and video gaming, current video game news. And I am on the Legend of Retro podcast where we talk about everything retro video games. Uh, comes out every Thursday, and we have a very vibrant Discord that we're all a part of through GameZilla Media. You can go to GameZillaMedia.com to find that Discord link, and I encourage everybody, um, if you're looking not only for more content and more ability to talk to us about our terrible ideas and opinions, um, you can do that on the Discord. And I will say recently some opinions of certain um, soundtracks for video game systems, uh, Sega, Sega and Super Nintendo. Well, that conversation spawned uh, from our discord spawned a Patreon episode. So um, you never know what might happen in our discord. So I highly recommend everybody go check it out. Yeah. Agreed. And also uh, obviously Sphinx and I are on this show. We are also on noobs and dragons every Wednesday on the games of media network. Uh, Joe just pretty much does this. He's kind of, you know, he just does. It's true. It's true. But, um, yeah. Joe is the murderer that keeps these bricks together. Come on. (laughs) Definitely hit us up in the discord, especially me and, uh, dead eyed. If you have any ideas for, uh, dark man in the heartland, we're still currently working on it. So if you have any ideas about that, dark man, is it a country music, uh, video of dark man singing, um, Hank Williams songs? No, it's more like, uh, dark man's in Nebraska and he has to like fight some crime in Nebraska. I gotcha. I gotcha. It's essentially like a horror a team episode. Whoa, 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 don't, don't, no, don't tell like, us what the movie's about. No, it's our movie. No, 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 you're gonna start competing Darkman. Yes. Alright, Josh, you and I our own competing Darkman. It's gonna be like Armageddon <laughs> and Sudden Impact. Yes. <laughs> or Deep Impact, I'm sorry. Sudden Deep Impact. Both. Yep. Guys, I I'm just gonna say it as we, we end here. This might be one of my favorite episodes of all time. <laughs> it's been a good one. Um, this is, this is officially this that. is officially the longest episode now, by the way. Listen, you said that last time I was on, so <laughs> <laughs> Yep. All right. Well you... anything else anybody else wants to add? 
Should we even bring up Patreon, or do you think there's no way in hell anyone's giving us money? I'll plug it real quick for you. Go to patreon.com slash gamezillamedia. We got two tiers, dollar, five dollars. Dollar tier, you get some extra content, a little bit sprinkled here and there, but the five dollar tier is where you want to go to get an extra episode from each of the shows on the network. Gamezillamedia.com slash Patreon. Check it out. You'll love it. There we go. All right, that said, this episode of the Last Action Podcast has been terminated. But we'll be back, baby. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Enough, enough shots. Dolus. Dolus. <laughs> I'm not cutting any of this.